Before I dive into the message, I really have the privilege of introducing a missionary guest with us to do about a five-minute spotlight. Ricky Van Pay is his name, his wife Amy, and she's sitting right over there. Amy, would you just stand up so we can at least welcome you? Welcome, Amy and Ricky Van Pay. You have a pretty interesting uh, missionary assignment, you guys. It's, it's phenomenal. I won't hug him because he was in a a mountain bike accident and broke his shoulder and he's had surgery and I don't want to mess that up, all right? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, this guy is a missionary to endurance athletes. Um, he's run two Ironman, like the full Ironman. And he's very involved in training uh, at the professional level. He gets it, he works alongside uh, some wonderful people. They live in Boulder, and I'm going to have him tell you a little bit about why and how how all this came about because it's a fascinating story, and we are just so glad that you are here. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how we can partner with you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having us. You guys have been so gracious, and uh, Pastor Derry, thank you so much for the opportunity. We're honored, and and my wife's involved as well. She's training for a marathon. Our kids just got done with Iron Kids in Boulder, so. Uh, we're a family that's wrapped up in this. But he mentioned uh, I'm a two-time Ironman. I'm training for another one next year. I haven't always been in this. I lost a lot of weight uh, seven years ago and, and got into the sport. Since that time, now I coach other ministers and church staff teams on weight loss and health and how to do that. And uh, But we, we got into the sport about seven years ago. And, and right off the bat, man, we knew that this was a tribe of people. They eat a certain way. They talk a certain way. Uh, uh, man, they eat vegan, and you hear the words like granola, and just all these extreme <laughs> things that, that frighten me, to say the least. But when we started doing the races that happened on the weekend, we noticed, man, all this stuff happens on Sundays, and people train on Saturdays. When do they ever go to church? When do they ever have an opportunity to hear about Christ? And, and the burden was in us deep during those times of racing, and I knew then that, that God was calling us to that mission field. And so when we began to pray, we looked around and thought, where's the Mecca for triathletes, uh, endurance athletes? And it's Boulder, Colorado, as many of you know. And so we moved out here a couple years ago. We got enthralled in, in several different triathlon clubs. One is called Fast Forward Sports, where there's about 300 athletes that, that actually pay to receive coaching. And I became a, a coach within that group and kind of put on a chaplain hat, if you will, and just begin to minister to people. And, and uh, it's almost like we've been called to the ministry of spandex. And so uh, I guess that's what we, we say now. And, and we, we, could, we kid around, but we really feel like if Jesus and his disciples were to come and live in Boulder, Jesus would say, hey, Peter, James, and John, put on your spandex, put your bikes on your rack hit the trails. Yep. So if you've ever been to Boulder, Colorado, the trailheads are packed on the weekend. Church parking lots aren't. So God's called us to go and represent you guys, the church, to be out there. On Sundays, we're either racing or we're volunteering at event. We're building relationships with race directors and, and just having a blast doing it. And, uh, you know, just last year, I, got, I had an opportunity. I was on a 13-mile training run, and, and this guy named Carlos was running next to me. We had the same pace. And if any of you have ever run or cycled, you know uh, when you're next to somebody doing it, you just spill life because you're suffering, you're enduring the heat, and you're tired, so you just start talking. 
And I got to know Carlos. And when we made the turn to come back in, I just felt led of the Holy Spirit, Pastor. And I just dove in. I just said, man, what's your spiritual beliefs? You know, you're out here running. You moved here from Brazil. You don't know a lot of people. And I could just sense hurt, loneliness. And he just began to open up his life right there on the Boulder Creek Trail. I got to just share the salvation plan with him and, and just share with him how Jesus gives life and life to the fullest. And I thought, where else in the world is this guy that's really educated, great job, loves running. He's out here on this trail. How's he ever going to come to know Christ unless somebody like my wife or I are out here on this trail on a Sunday running next to him. So if you guys would keep us in your prayers, uh, it's a crazy calling. People hear about it, and, and but, you know, that's what we're called to do, and, and we're able to do that with, with churches and pastors like yours that get it, and they believe in us. So thank you guys so much. I think we should, like, have a spandex weekend or like, everybody wears spandex. I think it's got to start with you, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you ought to see my purple outfit, man. It, oh, uh, that's fun. You know, isn't it great that God calls people to all levels of service, and churches like ours can help and come alongside and be supportive. They have a table out there, table number eight. I hope some of you will go out. If you have questions about training or you're thinking about doing this or just health overall, these guys know what they're talking about. And we thought it'd be really important to get them in our building and let you meet them and talk with them. And this is kind of an intro. We'll see over the next few years what we can do with some of the things we've done with, with our 5Ks and the runs that we sponsor here in our city. Let me tell you an interesting stat that I'm gonna be hitchhiking on in a few weeks. Um, the Gallup poll in 2007 named... Uh, Seattle as the most unchurched city in America. They redid the poll in 2010, and guess what city, and it's a bunch of questions, I don't know how they do it exactly, but they call it the most unchurched city in America. Guess what it is now? Boulder, Colorado. We need God there, and we need you there. And what shocked me even more than that was Fort Collins, Colorado, was number 15 most unchurched in America. Matter of fact, that just ticked me off. And so you're gonna be feeling the wrath of my anger in about a month. I have a whole series coming up in a, in a couple of weeks that I, that's not okay with us. And so we wanna partner with you. In Colorado, it's, it's a great state, but the mountains, the trees, the forest, all that stuff, it just attracts uh, unique people. And so anyway, Lord, thank you for Ricky and Amy and their three beautiful children. Bless them, encourage them. Keep your hand on them. Give them favor like we're gonna see in a moment that you gave favor to Moses. You gave favor to Nehemiah. Just do that. Do that supernaturally. I just pray over them and their family that you'll give them favor with the lost, that they'll be making a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. Say thanks to Ricky and Amy for what they do. Thanks a ton. Really cool. Man. It really means a lot, I'll tell you. I just love these guys. Great spirit, great heart. Imagine, as we dive into this message, and we're in this series, Off-Road, I've called this message, Without You, We're Going Nowhere. And this is talking about God, because the golden calf, obviously last weekend, if you were here, Pastor Jeff did a great job talking about what that meant to build an idol. Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to God, and it's taking too long, 
and they get impatient. They build this golden calf, which we'll talk about in a moment. But imagine that you are, let's just pull out a state. Let's say you're from Texas. Anybody from Texas? Okay. Yeah, a few of you from Texas. Good. That's, that's a good thing. We're glad you made it to Colorado. Um, let's say a group of you are coming out to Colorado from Texas because you've never climbed a 14er, and you have a seven-day trip with a guide who's going to take you everywhere, and you're going to tackle five 14ers in seven days, and this guide has it all mapped out, and all you have to do is follow him. He sends you a list of everything you need to pack, what you need to bring, get your hiking shoes broken in, and you show up at the trailhead to the place he said he would meet you, and he's there with all the other stuff that they're going to bring, and he says to you, look, here's the trailhead, here's where it starts for the next seven days, but I, I can't make it. And so you guys go ahead and try it, but I'm not going to be with you. I think they would turn around and go home <laughs> because it, without a guide, if you don't know where to go, you can't just guess. A guide is given to us because they have knowledge that we don't have. You might be in shape enough to do it. You might have the muscle power, the strength, the stamina, but if you don't know where to go, you're not going to accomplish that goal. That's a little bit of the feeling that's happening in this story. Moses is basically saying, I'm done with the Israelites. If they want to worship idols, fine. I'm taking them out. I'm going to go look for another group of people. And God is angry, and Moses understands that anger. So Moses starts to petition God to have mercy on them. And it's quite a story as it unfolds. It's Exodus 32 and 33. So let's dive in and let's look at this. The first thing I want you to look at and write down in your outline, in your program there, is number one, how does the golden calf creep into our life? Now, Pastor Jeff touched on this last week, and, and they just did such a great job with all the ways we do this. So I almost want to just dovetail what he said into this first point as we move on to Exodus 32 and 33. The golden calf basically came into existence because the people of Egypt worshipped idols. And that's what the Israelites had seen for 400 years. It, they were used to it. And so when they came out away from Egypt, and they didn't know where Moses went, he said he was going to go talk to God on the mountain, and he didn't come back, and he didn't come back, and he didn't come back. Someone came to Aaron and said, look, we have a desire to worship. Now that's a good thing, right? God put innately in man a desire to worship something. I believe that with all my heart. So they said, we need to, we need to, well, all they knew was a calf, a bull, many of the, of the people around them worship bulls. And so they said, bring your earrings, bring your bracelets, bring everything. Let's melt it down and let's make a golden calf so that we might worship. And they justified this behavior, even knowing it probably was not okay to God. And so what happens is we let golden calves creep into our lives sometimes with good intentions. So I, I'm not trying to judge anybody as I walk through this first point, but I want you to think about, I put four C's of how this happens in our life. How does the golden calf grip us? Because we're in a culture where we build golden calves every single week in our lives. We just don't recognize it as an idol. But America has become an idol-worshiping country. It might not be a piece of metal or a piece of gold, but materialism, consumerism, there's all these things that we chase after and go after and we buy the lies. And so I think the four things, the first C is the, the word choices. 
You know, our daily choices are leading us somewhere. You're going to make choices about today, about what you eat, whether you exercise or not, what you do with your time, and that choice today is going to impact you tomorrow. Your mind, your body, everything today that you decide has an impact for tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And those choices add up to be something big. The next C is the word circumstances. We, we never fully know what we may do depending on the circumstances we are in. Have you ever, just be real honest here, have you ever said, I cannot believe they would ever do that? You know, and you're thinking about somebody and it just shocks you. And what you may not know is the circumstances that led them to actually do that. As I prayed about this message and I, I try to always look at my own life, I'm not sure we can really fully understand or appreciate what certain circumstances would do to our lives. I'm not sure we can fully comprehend what circumstance I might end up in that would make me make a foolish decision because I've never been in that circumstance before. And that's why I have to hold tight to the word of God and the principles of God because circumstances are gonna come into your life that you have never faced before. And if you're not ready to make good decisions, you'll make bad decisions. The next C is the word culture. Our culture right now here in good old USA, our culture is morphing into ideologies that allow us to feel good about our golden calves. We're in a culture that's actually in some cases teaching us and helping us to feel good about what sin is. It, well, it's just how you were born. It's just who you are. And our culture is embracing ideologies that this book doesn't embrace. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. And, and you're going to have to, in your mind, you're going to have to be able to say, this culture is pushing me down a path that I don't want to go down. And you're going to have to brace yourself to know what the truth is and know where the lines are so that you don't get swept away with the river. Because people are getting swept away, good people, people I never thought would, would say the things they're saying right now. And I'm hearing it when people say, well, this is my life. This is what I want to do. This is my decision. This is my right. On and on and on it goes. Instead of recognizing that every decision you make impacts my life. The decisions I make impact your life. And so we need to share this planet with grace and care. The last C is the word compromise, and it's where it all is. We justify our actions. We compromise. We, we detour off of the path. We get tired of waiting on God, and so we build our own golden calf. We'll find a way. We'll do it our way. We don't need, God hasn't shown up, and we almost get angry, and we don't realize the consequences for our wrongful actions. I had an interesting thing. I don't know if you've painted anything lately. Anybody do any painting in your house? A couple years ago, we painted our house, and man, that's a lot of work. Wow. And so we, we got the paint. Bonnie picked out the paint. Now, when you go look at paint, there's so many weird names on paint. I mean, it's like sand dune blonde. I mean, what is, what is that? You know what I mean? So, so anyway, I don't even remember the color of our, of our house paint, but Bonnie picked it all out. That's a good thing because she knows colors much better than me. So she sends me to the paint store to get so many gallons of, of this special paint. I go in. He gets white paint. It's a bucket of white paint. 
He goes over to this little machine and he opens the lid, and I'm, I'm serious, it's pure white. I'm thinking, oh, that's not it. See, this is, this is brown here. He says, hang on a sec. So he puts this little thing, he spins around and he goes, and this like purple color goes into this white paint. He spins this thing around again, gray goes in there. I'm like, you know, we don't have purple or gray. This is kind of a brown. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking, this poor guy, he's wasting paint. Goes around, red goes in there, red. I'm thinking, this is red. And he puts this red and it goes in there. And when he was done putting all the color in there that he was supposed to put in there, it still looked perfectly white, all except for the one little dot in the middle of the last color he used. Until he shook it. And when he shook it, and he opened that lid, I could not believe my eyes. Sand dune blonde, baby. <laughs> right there. Or whatever it was. It was completely different. That's what compromise does. You don't even know the stuff you're putting inside your heart, your mind, your life, until you go through the shakeup. And suddenly you're in a trial, and it's deep, and it's hard, and you have no money, and you have no friends, and you're alone, and it shakes you up, and guess what comes out? It's not the color you hoped for, and it won't be white. Be careful what you put into your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit. That's how the golden calf gets its root. Number two, we must find mercy with justice. Mercy and justice must be friends. Uh, these, are, these are two really big Bible words, mercy and justice. Now let's read from Exodus 32. The next day Moses said to the people, you have ticked God off, basically is what he's saying. You have committed a terrible sin. But look at what he says. But I will go up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. This is before Jesus died for our sins, obviously. So Moses returned to the Lord and he said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. So he didn't deny it. He didn't say, well, they didn't understand. He just said, I sinned. They sinned. It was wrong. That's one of the first things that we need to come to grips with. When we blow it, we blow it. Don't justify it. Don't excuse it. Just recognize it. I've sinned. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record that you have written as well. You know, you know what Moses is saying? He's saying, if you're not going to forgive these people, don't forgive me. Because I'm with them. And I know you love me, and I wasn't involved in that, but... I'm gonna stand in the gap for these people. That's a pretty good friend, would you say? That's a pretty big step for someone to say, I'm in. I'm, if you're not gonna forgive them, you're not gonna forgive me. I started thinking, what motivated Moses? Just put on your thinking cap for, why did Moses say that? Any ideas? Why would Moses say, I mean, he could have said, I know, they screwed up down there, I'm glad I was up here, I had nothing to do with it. Strike them down. Do whatever you do with them. Let's, let's be you and me, God. We'll start over. Because that's what God wanted to do. Moses said no. I started thinking about that. I thought, well, first of all, he's one of them. And he knows that by birth. He's one of them. And, and there's a, a sense in which he feels like these are my people. I think also um, he's the one responsible, he feels, for getting them out of Egypt. Remember? He and Aaron and the plagues and the Pharaoh finally says, okay, go. And so, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're responsible for getting 
people somewhere and things go south, and you don't want to just say, oh, it didn't work out, see ya. You know what I mean? You, you feel responsible, like, I got to make this happen. I got to finish what I started. So I think, I think he's feeling responsible, which is good. I think another big one as to why he said that to God is this. He knows his own sin. Early on in his life, he killed an Egyptian and tried to hide it, tried to cover it up, and it was exposed later on. But that's in his history. How many of you have one of those? A history. We all do. And I just want to remind you that grace comes powerfully into our lives when we recognize we have a history of sin as well. All have sinned and fallen short of God. God's glory. I, I, just, I just think, what would it be like to forget, we, we're so good at saying, that's forgotten. God's cleansed me. It's over. Yes, that's true. And he's not going to hold that sin against you again. However, when you meet crusty Christians who hold everyone to the highest standard that they live now, and they have forgotten their sin, suddenly they can become judgmental and mean and crusty, and they can just almost cut people down with their, quote, righteous behavior. And I'm so glad that Moses recognize his own sin and he said i have to own who i am you guys let's be patient with people who are in a journey of discovering who god is let's be patient you, uh, you know what our missionary here today ricky van Pay, he may he may have to run with his buddy 150 miles 500 miles a thousand miles and those conversations go on and on before it happens before he comes to that place of faith. I don't know. I just know it's, it's really good. It's not me doing all that running. <laughs> Number three, how can I trust the grace of God for other people? It's fascinating how Moses has stepped out there and put his life on the line for someone else. I wonder if you would do that. I wonder if I would do that. I wonder how you're motivated to help others, or are you just living in your little world? If my needs are met, that's what I care about. Look at what it says in verse 33. But the Lord replied to Moses, No, I will erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me, meaning I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. I'm going to forgive them. Now, go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Moses petitioned God, and it ends up that God forgives them, and they're going to move on, and they're going to they're make it to the promised land. It's going to take a long time, but they're going to get there. Who is it in your family right now that you're praying for? Who is it in your world, in your workplace? It's easy for us to say, like if I said it like this, how many of you had, have someone you work with that flat out needs God? That's a different feeling in some cases than who are you compelled to pray for? Because the people who flat out need God, sometimes we wish they would burn. If they tick you off all the time, if they're not honest in their business dealings, and it's messed you up and taken money out of your pocket, man, it's, it's hard to stand in the gap for people who are lost and who cheat and who steal. Should we hold them to a, a high level of accountability? Yes, but we must pray for them. 
And we must stand in the gap. I want to encourage you to keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your extended family. How many of you have family members out there somewhere that they just, they're just not quite getting it with God, you know? And you're praying for them. Don't stop praying. Moses changed the nation because of, he, of his prayers and his boldness to come before God. And I'll tell you this, in doing that, there's two things I want to say, and then we'll move to the next point. Truth and grace must hold hands. Truth and grace. It's, I should have brought a baton or something up here because truth and grace are two things that I need to ha have in my hand at all times. There are times when, I mean, if you're, if you're let's put it this way, if you're all truth, then that's all you're going to look for. That's what the Pharisees did. And they looked for the letter of the law, and they held people accountable. And it's like the woman caught in the act of adultery. They brought her to Jesus and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? That's true. What they said was true. What Jesus knew, if you go back to where that law was written, it also said that there must be two or more witnesses they must be found exactly in the cot, the act of adultery, which they said she was. But it also says to bring the man and the woman. Where's the man? They'd already messed up the law. Here's the point. When you think you're living by the letter of the law, you've probably already messed it up. And it's important that grace, Jesus suddenly says to all of them, those of you without sin cast the first stone. Okay, they're dropping the stones. Because was Jesus trying to remind them how horrible they were? No, he was trying to let them know that you can't, you can't live by that letter of the law or you will kill everybody in your world. If all you have is grace, then you're going to compromise at every turn in the road. If all you do is forgive and forget and there's no standard anymore and people run over you and you have no integrity left and you find out, well, Jesus will just forgive me again. I can do this the rest of my life. This is what I like to do. Then you're walking, you're stomping on the grace of God. You need to come to that place of truth where grace and truth are marking your life and you're seeking after maturity and you're grounded in God's word. It's really, really important that we have that. Number four. How can we live in the presence of God? How can we live in the presence of God? This is a really fascinating passage of Scripture, and it's a, it's a conversation between Moses and God. So let's read it. Just listen carefully. Think about this. One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. And I will give you rest. I love that. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. In other words, if I don't have your word that your presence is not going to be with us, we don't want to go. We can't do it without your presence going with us. How will anyone know 
that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. Wow. Do you get what Moses is saying? I think we forget this. This is really important. Can you imagine, can you imagine doing church? We, we gather here. We gather here on the weekends, Saturday night and Sunday, Wednesday night. We gather here. This is a facility we built to gather, to be the bride of Christ, to read scriptures, to pray together, to worship together. Is it possible that churches can actually come and have church and not have the presence of God? This isn't a show. This isn't a concert. This isn't a, a, a happy talk. This is us saying we are serious about the mandates of God. And without the presence of God, I don't want to be here. That's the everything for us. Oh, we've got great graphics and cameras and good stuff, and we try to keep it exciting. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is that the presence of God is what changes the hearts and lives of people. And without that, I'm out. Without that, you should be out. We need to be prayerful. We need to be open. We need to be honest to say, is the presence of God what I am seeking after with my whole heart? Am I all in for this? Do I believe that my life matters because the presence of God is going with me? That's how you're going to change the world. That's how it's going to make a difference in your workplace. It's not your cute phrases or what you've memorized or how holy you become. It's going to be the presence of God in your life and your spirit is going to ooze it out. That's what Moses is saying. Man, if, I, if I've ever been scared to death, it's, it's in this culture right now where if we just do this machine thing about church and we show up and we put something in the offering and we sing a few songs, if the presence of God... If we don't sense that, then right, Ichabod, God has left this place on the doors and let's do something else. But here's the, here's the beauty. God is here and his presence is here and he's in you and me. There's four practical guidelines that I'm gonna go really fast. Man, man, where does time go? I hate it when I don't preach for a couple of weeks because then I have like a full load that I, that I, I feel like I'm... Practical guidelines. Number one, believe God is present always. That's just a, if you do that, good things can happen in your life because he's with you now, he's with you when you walk out of here, he's with you tonight, he's with you tomorrow, he's with you in every conversation, he's with you in every dark room, he's with you in your bed, he's with you when you eat, he's with you always. Believe that everywhere, all the time. Use discernment. Number two, talk to God. Talk to God daily. I love this conversation we just read. God said, Moses said, then the Lord said, then Moses said back. That's what prayer is. It's conversation. You say, well, God's never really physically talked to me. Well, he probably never will. But that's what discernment is. And your mind and your spirit man picks up what God is saying back to you. The spirit can reveal God's voice to you. And you can hear it. I do believe God speaks to me. Truth, he changes my behaviors. It changes the way I think. It puts creativity in my life. Number three, live with balance between truth and grace. 
That's what we were talking about before. Let them hold hands in your life. Don't get stuck on one or the other. Let them hold hands and be friends. That's maturity. Number four, be, bring trusted people into your tensions. This is hard for believers, but you've got to, are you in a small group? Do you have great friends in your life? Where can you confide if you mess up, who can you tell that to and be still loved and, and encouraged and get back on the path? We, so many Christians do it alone. Well, it's between me and God. No, it isn't. <laughs> you, you probably won't get fixed if it just stays between you and God. That's why we're the body of Christ. We're his bride. It's about us. I want you to have that person. I, I want to close by just reminding you what happens if you found out you had a sharp pain in your stomach somewhere and you need to go to the doctor, one of the first things that that doctor might say to you is you need to take off your clothes and put on this robe. Oh, what would happen if you say, I'm not taking my clothes off? Well, then, well, then we can't examine you properly. We're going to put you in a machine and we need to see inside. We need to probe. No, you can't see me naked. Well. It's not to see you naked. It's so that we can help you. Well, that's why we've learned in our culture, when we go see the doctor, we can take off our shirt. We can take off our clothes if we need to. This sounds really vulnerable, and it is, but I'm using it because I think it's a great analogy. Why? Because you trust that that physician is going to help you. And when we, when we put that in spiritual terms, I don't think sometimes we're very good at peeling off the clothing and becoming naked before God and others in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense. The first thing a child does when they hurt their finger or smash their finger, they get cut. They grab a hold of it and they roll up around it because that they want to put it in the center. And what, what is the first thing we do? A Band-Aid, but first we say, let me see it, honey. I need, I need to take a look at it or I can't help you. Is it a cut? Is it a bruise? Is it a puncture? Because how we treat it makes a difference. Let me see it. No, it hurts. It hurts. You have to let me see it. And I think God is saying to some of you today, let me see it. He already knows, but would you offer? Would you offer that place of pain? Would you offer with vulnerability that spiritual nakedness to say, God, I do trust you. I do need help. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. We need you today. Thank you that when you see the owie in our spiritual lives, you can heal it, you can fix it, and we can trust you. You are our confidant. God, thank you for others that you put in our lives as well. As you close your eyes and you think about this, I just, I just want to read the last section of that chapter. The Lord commanded and continued, Moses, look, stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants you to see him and know him. He wants to protect you and cover you with his hand. He wants you to feel his glory because he is God and his presence is here today. 
Let him talk to you. First of all, how many of you would say, I need God? It's just a simple question. I need God, whatever that means to you. Raise your hand if that's true. Amen. We all know we need God. Some of you who have made mistakes and issues in your life and you say, I need forgiveness today. I want you to just ask him right now. I need forgiveness. I need to get out of this rut. I should reveal my stuff. Some of you right now, reveal your stuff. Take off the, the spiritual clothing that hides it. It's a facade. It's not real. You're hurting inside. The Spirit of God can help you. Lastly, and with conviction, I ask you, are you willing to burn the golden calves in your life? Are you willing to destroy the idols of the things that maybe you're worshiping that only the Spirit can reveal through that consumerism, through overspending, through greed, through, I, I could name tons of things, but I think it's better if the Spirit would just say to you, this is what has become an idol in your life. And it makes you feel better, and it makes you feel good about yourself, but that's not my intent. I want you to run to me, not to that. I want you to run to me. Just respond to him right now if that's you. I just wanna pray over you. Lord, you see our hearts and we're so glad. Man, we're glad. We need your healing, we need your touch. We need your power. Without it, we can't make these changes. We can't do this stuff. Thank you that you've called us to journey with you and to cover us, to put your hand over us and to hide us in the crevice of the rock that we might be protected and yet know your presence. I thank you for these wonderful people. Encourage them forward in Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come and be available. Guys, these are people who would love to just take you by the hand and pray with you about anything you're facing. You can trust them. And uh, don't be afraid. This might be the first step you need to take to say, this is my issue, or pray with me about this. If it's related to this message or completely unrelated, let us have a moment of prayer with you. Other than that, go say hi to Ricky and Amy, our missionaries, and all the other tables in the mall. But everywhere you go this week, just, just try. Try to think of it like this. God's presence is with me. God's presence is with me. God's presence is with me. He's here right now. He's here right now. He's here right now. I won't say that. <laughs> He's here right now. I won't do that. Oh, God, you're here. Okay, I better clean it up. He's with you always. That's what we need to know. I'm sorry, I'm preaching again. It's been a while, but you're stuck with me for a, a lot of weeks here. The service starts now. God bless you. Go in His grace. Let us pray with you. Come on up. Have a great rest of your weekend.